Whoa, wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Oaklander, right wing, trying to shot. He scores! I'm singing about your hoagie. Yeah, they had some rap rounds, they had some chance to get me wrong. But I thought for the most part, the great A's weren't, you know, really egregious. And a diving grab is made for a touchdown. And the Steelers are on the short end of a oh, of an awful lead for the New England Patriots. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver 603 on a Friday. Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford, it is Brough, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Alfred and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios. Jason's here to tell you more about Kintec. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It's a Friday on the Halford & Bruff Show. That means it's a very busy three hours on the horizon. It begins at 6.30. Brady Henderson, ESPN's NFL Nation, is going to join us at 6.30 to talk about the Seattle Seahawks, who are in San Francisco this weekend and are slim 10.5-point underdogs on the road against their NFC West rivals. We will talk to Brady about that at 6.30. We can also ask him about this Jamal Adams story, this Twitter controversy that he embroiled himself in. Uh, Brady Henderson at 6.30 be joining us on the program. 7 o'clock, it's AJ from AJ's Pizza on East Broadway. We are giving away a $100 gift card today to AJ's Pizza. Mm, Best pizza in the city. Best ask us anything is going to win. All you have to do is send and ask us anything to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Hashtag it AUA. Put a pizza emoji into the text, and you'll be entered into the contest to win a $100. Is a, it's a big gift card. Thanks, piddly $25 gift cards like these other companies are giving us. I was just thinking it would be nice if Lucas Pisa was still on the team to somehow cross-promote the pi- the big pizza at AJ's. <laughs> it was like that is a match made in branding heaven. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. Oh, well. But AJ's going to join us at 7. Uh, a reminder, it is Ask Us Anything Friday. So seven. for like every Spies giveaway, you get a free pizza? Like that would be they the promotion? They can't afford that. No. <laughs> Imagine that? That'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be incredible. <laughs> Best there would be, ever. And there'd have to be someone to like make it officially a pizza? Yeah. Just be like, that's official. That was a pizza. <laughs> uh, also in the 7 o'clock hour, we're going to do our Play Now NFL Locks of the Week. 7.30, Bob the Moj Marjanovic will join us for a little football talk and... A little Canucks talk is uh, Moj, for those that are unaware, is a member of the working media now. He does the scrums, right? He was asking Rick Tockett questions about D-men pinching yesterday. Moj is well, a very do, do you know what I think individual. happened with uh, Moj yesterday? I think um, Moj heard Tockett use the words 
prevent defense. Like he said, like you don't want to be in a prevent defense because someone asked him, I think it might have been Faber, asked him about the defenseman pinching. That's right. And like as it went on through the game, so like they kept on pinching even when they had the lead. Yes. And then he's like, yeah, you don't want to be in a prevent defense. And I just picture Moj, who's like, football term. That's like right. his, his brain just went, football term. That's a football term. Let's keep talking about this. He's like, coach, do you agree that prevent defense only prevents you from winning? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 7.30, Moj is going to join us on the program. 8 o'clock, Rick Dollywall is going to Join us from the Donnie and Dolly show on Check TV. We'll talk about uh, a very kind of interesting win for the Vancouver Canucks last night. 2 nothing shutout victory over the Minnesota Wild. We'll talk to Dolly about that. Again, I'll mention it's Ask Us Anything Friday. There's uh, pizza gift cards up for grabs. So, working in reverse. 8 o'clock, Dolly Wall. 7.30, Moj. 7, AJ. 6.30, Brady Henderson. It's a loaded show. We have a million things to get into. So, without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. It was Casey DeSmith with his first shutout as a Vancouver Canuck. 26 saves on Thursday night. The Minnesota Wilds' four-game winning streak snapped, snapped in half by Casey DeSmith. Uh, Canucks win 2 nothing at Rogers Arena on Thursday night. And that's why you need a capable backup Goalie. I think the addition of Casey DeSmith was under the radar. Uh, an incredible move by this management. Uh, we've said it time and time again. Um, you know, were they really going to head into this season with the tandem? Do you remember, like, the plan heading into this season was a tandem of Spencer Martin and Archer Silovs? And everyone was like, well, you can just bring up Archer Silovs when you need him from the AHL. I'm like, how about keep him in the AHL and teach him how to play goalie in North America? Um, You know, Spencer Martin eventually got shipped out to Columbus after the Canucks acquired Casey DeSmith. And Casey DeSmith was ready and able to bail out the Canucks last night. And he needed to, on a night where Thatcher Demko needed a rest... Uh, because the Canucks uh, somehow escaped the first period with a one nothing lead despite playing most of the period in their own end. Uh, the Canucks, I don't know what happened to them. I don't know why that start happened. You credit the Minnesota Wild. Uh, the Canucks had a day off the day before. Maybe, you know, you know, couch legs, yeah. you know, when you like try and do sports after you've been on the couch all day. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had couch legs for the first 10 minutes of the game. The Wild won all the puck races and the puck battles. Uh, but the Canucks, for the most part, I suppose, kept their structure. Even when they didn't have their puck, they weren't chasing around too much. They weren't moving around at all. They had their and, staples. And they, yeah, and they had Casey DeSmith keeping them in it. And eventually his teammates were able to find their legs and take control of the game. The shots were 11-3 to with two minutes to go in the first. 11-3 to with two minutes to go in the first. So the Canucks went 18 minutes at home against the Minnesota Wild, only getting three shots. But Brock Besser feeds Hoaglander to start a rush up the ice. Hoaglander just kind of put the puck on the net. But Nikita Zadorov had used his speed to go coast to coast to get all the way up the ice to screen Gustafson. Mm-hmm. And Hoaglander didn't rip it, but he placed it well. And he had his ninth goal of the season. We'll talk more about Hoaglander later. Uh, the Canucks then controlled the second period. 
that was a very good period for them. It was almost like opposite periods. Minnesota controlled for the most part the first period. The Canucks controlled the second. Nobody scored in the second, but early in the third, Dakota Joshua, and we'll talk about more about him, and Noah Juleson did a good job holding the puck in at the blue line, allowing Connor Garland, talk about him, to make a perfect pass to Teddy Bluger, who made a nice deke to make it 2 nothing. And after that, honestly, I wasn't too worried. Yeah. Like, I thought, I was like, all right, the Canucks got this. The Minnesota Wild had their shot. They didn't, they didn't get it done when they had all that zone time and all those shots in the first period because of Casey DeSmith. Um, and the Canucks ended up winning 2 nothing. So congratulations to Casey DeSmith for getting the shutout. Andre Kuzmenko did play, and he was part of the first unit power play, which didn't score. In fact, none of the big dogs scored for the Canucks, and none of them even got a point. But Kuzmenko wasn't in the top six, instead slotting in with Nils Amon and Phil G. Giuseppe on the fourth line. Mm-hmm. Lana, uh, Linus Carlson was a healthy scra- scratch. But let's start with uh, the goaltender in Casey DeSmith and how nice it is to have a backup goalie that you have confidence in. Well, I think that Casey DeSmith should actually give the guys in front of him a pat on the back. See, he hadn't played in a long time, November 25th, to be exact. And the Canucks thought, you know what? Let's make sure that he's sharp right off the bat, and we're not going to get the puck out of our zone for minutes at a time. We're going to make sure that Casey DeSmith gets all the shots he needs early so that he can then ease into the second and third period. So really, they were galaxy-braining the whole thing, and good on the Canucks for doing it, because they literally did not get the puck out of their zone for about 10 and a half to 11 minutes. But Casey DeSmith held his own. Let's hear more from the coach, Rick Tockett, on Casey DeSmith, who now has a 917 save percentage on the year. Not bad for a backup goalie. Here's Tockett on CDS. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, was it two weeks since he's played? That's what Casey does. You know, he's done that in his career where he's had inactivity. So, yeah, he was solid tonight for us. And I don't know if the – I don't know if this is just more anecdotal stuff, but everyone has talked that's talked about the Smith said that he's got an innate ability to sit for long periods of time. He doesn't get couch legs. He doesn't get couch legs. Yeah. He's anti-couch I've got legs. that ability, too, to just sit for a long period of time. There's a second part to it, though. Oh. By the way, can we uh, – there's no dog cam. Did you notice, Greg? Have you looked at Greg this morning? What's going on there? Greg's wearing hat there. a very tiny Santa hat, and it's hanging askew off the side it, of his it's head. It's actually a hair clip. It's almost yeah, like no. A, when you say tiny, like it's like my, microscopic almost. It yeah, is and, so small. Yeah, I'm and, getting in the mood. Andy didn't notice it this morning, and then when I walked in, I'm like, "What's up with the little hat?" And there's Greg just wearing a little hat. Anyway, I digress. Casey DeSmith, um, you mentioned that it was a terrific acquisition by the front office, mm-hmm. and I <laughs> wholeheartedly agree because. There's there's two parts to this, right? Like you know, going in that Demko's going to play the lion's share this year if he's healthy, right? So you need to find a guy that's going to be able to plug and play, but you also need to be able to find a guy that, as the Smith said, has an ability to go long stretches without game action, get dropped in at a moment's notice. Like again, I I was joking about the Canucks. You know, we're going to make sure he doesn't ease into this game by literally not <laughs> playing hockey in front of him. But he was great. He was great in that opening period when no one else had their legs or I guess had their couch legs. He really, really stood up. Now, the second part of this is that over the course of an 82-game season, good teams tick a lot of boxes beyond do we have a 1C, do we have an elite defenseman, do we have a good starting goalie. You need 
secondary and tertiary comp um, contributors. DeSmith last night, perfect example. He's now up to a 917 save percentage on the night. Uh, I think now would be a good time to talk about Nils Hoaglander Mm -hmm. because if you want to do a sort of juxtaposition between guys that have spent time in the Talkit doghouse since Talkit has come aboard, uh, Hoaglander's been in there. Yep. He really has. He's very clearly at times throughout Rick Talkit's coaching tenure, uh, Hoaglander hasn't been a guy that you saw – bright things for because you think either he didn't play the style that talk had wanted or he couldn't execute the game plan. Well, he has really, really matured into an important contributor for talk Like he's been able to move him up the lineup when he needed to find a replacement for Kuzmenko. And he's found the back of the net with regularity, which is a great thing. Uh, let's hear from the head coach again now, because he talked about a particular instance and I hope this is in the clip, but if not, I can fill out the back, the back part of it. But he said, this isn't just about, uh, Huglander getting in on the forecheck and scoring goals. Like there was times yeah, last night where he got pinned in defensively and he had to do some good defensive lifting. Uh, here now, Rick Tockett on Hoglander following a 2 nothing win uh, over the Minnesota Wild on Thursday night. I thought he had a lot of energy. He gave that, that line energy. You know what? Um, they were a hard matchup against, uh, obviously, 97 of their team's hell of a hockey player. And I thought he held his own. Like, uh, that was a good step for Hoggy playing in his own end against a, 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 you know their top line. So if Hoggy can chip at that, it's, uh, you know, I don't know what he got, 15, 16 minutes, but he played some D-zone stuff where he had to, you know, you got to defend. I thought he did a hell of a job. So Hoglander spent a bunch of time last season in the AHL. He had a tough start, as did most Canucks, and you'll remember uh, the organization decided to send a few guys down to the AHL because things were so ugly in Vancouver that... I mean, I think the reasons were multiple. Uh, they go wanted, to the Valley, son. Yeah, go Just get go out to the here. AHL, play, get your confidence back. Uh, this place is a bit of a, a madhouse right now, so get out of here. Uh, and then we wondered about Hoaglander coming back into the season because he is he was no longer waivers exempt. Uh, Pod Colson didn't have to clear waivers, so he went down to the AHL. And we'll, we'll hope his story is similar to Hoaglander's. But Hoaglander spent 45 games plus six more in the playoffs last season with Abbotsford, and he was able to go down there, and he was able to work on things, work on the staples with Jeremy Colton, who's got some alignment with Rick Tockett, yeah. and I think it really helped him. I, think, I, th- I don't think it hurt him. At the very least, um, he still had to prove that he was an NHL player early in the season, and frankly, it didn't look great. It really didn't. It's all. It's. It's not like he's been great the whole season. Um, he's only recently um, been showing this progress, and it started in a bottom six role. And then, as the Canucks needed to find someone to jump up into a top six role for whatever reason, whether it was injuries or um, more recently, it's been because Kuzmenko hasn't been in the top six. Mm-hmm. He's found that spot. I never expect him to find a spot with Miller and Besser. Nope. I mean, that is... Not at all. That is, that's the line that Rick Tockett has normally gone to in order to shut down the other team's top line, and then you put Nils Hoaglander on it. Um, so it is going great for Nils Hoaglander right now. Let's hope he can keep this up. Let's hope he's learning things that he needs to do to be successful 
consistently in the NHL because we all saw these flashes from Hoaglander as soon as he came into the NHL. It was just a matter of, and this sounds so cliche and it sounds like I'm just parroting Rick Tockett, which I kind of am, but it was like, it's details with him. Like everyone knows you can see the energy that he brings, um, you know, to the game, but can a coaching staff trust him? Mm -hmm. And he's starting to earn the trust of the coaching staff. Yeah. It doesn't hurt that he's scoring, right? Well, it doesn't hurt that he's going on. He, he, he seems to be, he, you know, he's on, I don't know if you want to call it a, a hot streak or some might even say a lucky streak, he, but he's putting the puck in the net. Now, I want to talk about another line because this line or the players for the most part on this line have played well this season. It's just been a matter of finishing for them individually and them for uh, the line. Like um, Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland, and they started the season with their center being Pew Suter and Teddy Bluger because Suter's been hurt, has since replaced um, Suter on this line. But this line, this third line that the Canucks have, like it's kind of a maddening line because they have the puck a lot and they get the puck going in the right direction. They get scoring chances, but they haven't always put the puck in the net. In fact, their finishing has been a major issue, right? Connor Garland's finishing. Dakota Joshua's finishing. But last night, I mentioned that second goal that they scored where Dakota Joshua, along with Noah Juleson, does a really good job of keeping the puck in the zone at the blue line. And then it goes to Connor Garland, and he makes just a terrific pass to Teddy Bluger, who was left wide open in front of the net, and Bluger scores. It's so important for those guys to actually get a bottom line in a game because if you look at their underlying numbers, they're up there with some of the best players in the league. Their expected goals when those guys are on the ice is like 57%. That's incredible. Those are incredible rates of having the puck and getting more shots than you give up. There just hasn't been the bottom line individually. Like Garland still only got two goals, but if they can actually get some results out of that line, and results, I mean goals, that's going to go a long, long way. And frankly, if you look over the last little while with the Canucks, it's their bottom six that's been coming through for them. It's their bottom six that's been keeping them in games. Mm-hmm. And that was, I suppose, you know, I know the, the the Miller line got a goal with Hoaglander yesterday, but they also got this additional help from the bottom six, and that is so helpful. Well, that's what I was talking about with the secondary and tertiary contributors on a team is it's nice to go into a game where you're playing one of the hottest teams in the NHL too, by the way, let's not forget the Minnesota wild have won four straight under new head coach, John Hines. And they were a playoff team a year ago. You look at this and you're saying, okay, you get a shutout from your backup netminder. You get your ninth goal of the year from Nils Hoaglander, who by the way, now has more goals than Connor McDavid and Jason Robertson this season. Yeah. Like that is wild. And you get a third line goal. And you get it from Teddy Bluger. So you don't have to rely on Pedersen. You don't have to rely on Quinn Hughes, right? The offense is coming from different guys. That third line is it's almost kind of funny because it looks and at times feels like it's the most thrown together third line ever. It's like, well, we got some spare parts. We got this little guy with the little stick over here. We're going to throw him in. We got to Joshua. And then we can kind of replace the center with whoever we've got. But it works. And at a certain point, like Garland will start to find the back of the net. He's got the lowest shooting percentage on the team with anyone that's at least scored a goal. Like his shooting percentage is at three and a half percent. That is actual milk. That is whole milk. That is his shooting percentage right now. It can't get any lower. I mean, I guess it could theoretically, but 
he will start to find the back of the net a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much, but if that line, and I think eventually when Suter comes back, it'll be flip, Bluger, Suter, whatever. But if they can if they can get a little bit of consistency in the scoring department, they're going to be a tough team to deal with because then you're talking about three lines that look dangerous because that's the one thing I think you were kind of alluding to with that third line with Bluger and with Joshua and with Garland. Is well, they're, they're, it the finished, looks dangerous. Yeah, the it fi- looks like it's, it controls play. Garland doesn't have a great shot. He does we, not. We all know this. Um, and we've kind of poked fun at his short stick and you know the fact that because he uses this short stick, he's not getting a whole lot of leverage on the puck. He doesn't shoot it that hard. Um, but he scored goals in the NHL before. Um, he is doing good things out there. Like uh, the, the phrase I would use, he's getting the puck going in the right direction, right? So at least you're not getting pinned in your own end when that line is out there. And Joshua, you know, can sometimes, how can I put this nicely? He can sometimes make stick handling look difficult. That's actually not that nice. That's yeah. not nice. That's Close. Not nice. What the worst part would have been. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he does a lot of he does a lot of good things. He's a modern day Sergio Momesso. Wow, there's a pull for you, kids. Yeah. How many of the youths know about Sergio Momesso? Yeah, Momesso kind of made the stick handling look difficult, but he was a big body yeah. um, that you know would, would would didn't shy away from getting involved in the play. Um, but I really like that third line, and I think. You know, no, no disrespect to Teddy Bluger because I think he's he's played quite well. Nice goal, Fifty-three, by the way, still rattles me. You yeah. know, like because he's left-handed too. I'm like, oh, is Horvat back? Oh, that was a nice goal by Horvat. Um, and but once Suter's back, I think maybe from an offensive perspective, having a guy like that might tie the line together a little bit better with than Teddy Bluger. And then Teddy Bluger, you get him on the fourth line. Okay, uh, real quick, some other scores from last night. I do just want to point out that the the Carolina Hurricanes are going to be in town on Saturday night, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. Another big game for the Vancouver Canucks. I'm not sure if I like the fact that Carolina is coming into this one uh, licking their wounds and limping because they lost their third straight game on Thursday night. four or Sorry, 3-2 against the Calgary Flames. And this was a game in which the Carolina Hurricanes came into the third period leading to nothing. And then just completely blew up and allowed the Flames to score three third period goals. So now they're I told gonna, you they're not as stingy as they have been in the past. No, right? like, I don't like that the, they're coming in. They're the type of team their that. Wounds, well, though. and also I'm a little worried about that. They're well if they keep licking them, then uh, you know maybe True. the Canucks can take advantage. They're licking go go. Uh, they're the type of team that has speed up front that has given the Canucks problems before. So this is going to be one of those games where the Canucks defensemen are going to have to be on and the Canucks forwards are going to have to come out and help those defensemen. And you're probably going to hear from Rick Tockett saying, you know, play fast. Yeah. And if you got to just rim it to get it out or off the glass and out, do it. Because if you mess around too much with these really good forechecking teams and if you do too many regroups, you're going to eventually skate yourself into trouble as opposed to just get the puck out and then you get after the puck. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to do some early wagering oh, for the weekend, remember I said on Tuesday that I, I feel like this upcoming homestand, it might have some goals in it, and I was specifically alluding to the New Jersey game. And that one delivered. There was 11 goals because the goaltending wasn't especially good for either team, and the defensive play was horrific. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes now own the worst save percentage in the entire National Hockey League at 873. They've also given up... I can't believe this. Seven short, I don't know how you give up seven shorthanded goals already. This is sometimes this is sometimes what happens to Carolina though because they get a little too aggressive and then they end up giving up 
odd man rushes. Maybe they're deep pinched too much. I think their goalies like, have a combined age of 75, yeah, too, doesn't which help. doesn't help. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's probably a few things, but uh, we all heard the Rod Brindamore uh, interview during the Edmonton Oilers game. where yeah, he, he had another said, one last night, too. He got Not during the game, but after the game. He was really angry. That they weren't able to protect the lead? And that he said, we got some guys that just uh, are coasting out there. And he said, we got mm. some guys that are working hard, but too many guys that are yeah. just coasting out I don't, there. I don't love that the, the Hurricanes are coming in like no, this. And also, like <laughs> uh, the Canucks have, in their last 10 games, just alternated between losses and wins. So yep. uh, tomorrow's a loss. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> you heard it here first. Hit the over and take the loss. Okay, uh, we're going to shift to the world of football, specifically the Seattle Seahawks coming up next. Brady Henderson, ESPN NFL Nation, is going to join us. Seahawks are 10.5-point underdogs in uh, San Francisco this weekend. Uh, there was a lot of talk around Seahawks practice this week, though, that they could use it as a motivation that they were such heavy underdogs going in against their NFC West rivals. We'll talk to Brady about that coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We got this little guy with the little stick over here. We're going to throw him in. We got Kuhota Joshua. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Friday. What's going on here, laddie? What have we done? Well, it's Fiesta Friday, but we wanted a Christmas-themed Fiesta Friday. So we've combined the two worlds together. We're way too to the deep end now. Can and I've instantly regretted it. Can you bring it up a little bit? And this certainly is a Fiesta. It is. And it's Friday. It is. And Laddie's wearing a very tiny Christmas hat. He is. So tick all those boxes. Halford Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I hope the Seahawks are in a festive mood this weekend. They're 10.5 point underdogs in San Francisco. It's a tall order trying to take on a 49ers team that, quite honestly, has kicked the snot out of the Seahawks for the last, what, two and a half, three years? Maybe things will change this weekend. Who knows? Let's talk more about it now. Our next guest joins us every Friday here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Brady Henderson from ESPN here on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Brady. How are you? Good morning. Every Friday except last Friday when I uh, forgot to set my alarm and uh, I slept right through it. So my apologies again for that. But like a, a functional adult, I set my alarm this morning and I woke up and here I am. You know what? I'm, I'm glad that uh, you're up and awake. We love talking to you. Do not need to apologize for last week. It was totally fine. It happens every now and again. Jason and I have slept in for this actual show <laughs> on a number of occasions. So don't worry about missing a hit. Um, okay, I mentioned the Hawks are 10 and a half point dogs on the road in San Fran this weekend. I noticed that you threw a couple things out there on Twitter and then over at ESPN.com. What were the Hawks players actually saying about being this big of an underdog and that being a motivating factor for them well yeah there was really only one player who was asked about that specific aspect of it and it was jaron reed and you know one of the things i appreciate about reed is that uh especially in this second stint of his in seattle he has really become a guy who is willing to speak candidly and he basically said it doesn't really matter how much they're underdogs by that they they don't care about that they care about 
you know, snapping a three-game winning streak. And so uh, it is rare to see the Seahawks, you know, this big of underdogs. It certainly makes sense when you consider how much the 49ers uh, have had their number. I went back and added it up, uh, the combined score of these last four losses, and I think it's like 120 to 53. So 49ers have won these last four games by an average of 16 points. And, And this was after the Seahawks won you know, 17 of 21 matchups dating back to the 2012 season, I believe it was. And so it, it, it really seems like a lot longer ago that the tables turned back in San Francisco's favor just because they've turned so dramatically. But it was really up until the start of last season that the Seahawks had the 49ers number in a big way. And now that is very much reversed. But, but back to Jaron Reed's point, he said, yeah, it's not really, we don't really care about the point spread. Uh, the fact is they need a win after three straight losses. And I think this players realize too, that, you know, that last game against Dallas was their best shot at snapping that losing streak. And now they're going to have to do it uh, against San Francisco and knowing that they've got Philadelphia coming up next. And that would be the first five game losing streak. I don't think they've actually lost four games straight under Pete Carroll, but uh, that would be an even more unprecedented five game losing streak. So there's, there's a sense of urgency for sure. You have to be a really good tackling team to beat the t- a team like the 49ers because they got those dynamic playmakers, McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. Are the Seahawks a good tackling team? They are not. No, they are not. And, uh, I mean, there, there were some, some good individual efforts tackling-wise in that game, but there were some missed ones against Dallas. And I think the, the thing that would be concerning to me in that regard is that this late in the season, I mean, in, in during the season in general, you don't see teams – uh, hit a lot in practice and it, you especially don't see it this late in the year where they're in preservation mode and they're trying to you know ease back the throttle on guys to knowing that they're already their bodies are already beat up and so if you're if you have a tackling issue in December I think it could be hard to correct that and as you said it, it's hard enough going against this team anyways with all of its you know run after the catch superstars I mean nobody on uh, Philadelphia's defense could tackle Devo Samuel last week. And and that's a pretty good Philadelphia defense. And so that's probably the biggest concern defensively in this game is just, and, you know, they may not, I don't think they're going to have Jordan Brooks, uh, or at least they may not have him. And so, you know, one of your better tacklers, one of your better defensive players in general, but specifically one of your better tacklers is, is maybe going to miss this game. And so it's a huge concern for them. Uh, What are the Seahawks looking like at running back in terms of health? Walker is going to play. I wasn't really convinced of that, uh, but what I'm hearing is that I think he's got a really good chance to play uh, with Charbonnet. Um, that knee bruise never really seemed like a, a significant thing. It seemed like it was something that was just going to take a, you know a few days to quiet down, and he had the benefit of the mini buy coming off the Thursday night game. And so both of those guys practiced yesterday. They were limited, and for Walker, that was his first practice since he suffered that oblique strain on um, on November 19th in the first quarter of that Rams game. But he's back on the practice field, and I do think, based on what I'm hearing, that he's got a, a pretty good chance of playing. So the Seahawks offensively against the Cowboys, they did look a lot better. Uh, not on fourth down. Fourth down was a problem. But against the Cowboys, they did look better. What was the key to the success specifically for Geno Smith? Yeah, I think it was it was getting the ball out quickly, and that was one thing that we heard uh, from Pete Carroll, from Shane Walter. And I mean, last week they were, um, you know, they were kind of saying the same thing that that they have, and it's kind of begin to come. It's become the company line that 
you know, anytime the focus has been on Gino, it's been, you know, they've said, yeah, it's not about one guy. Everybody needs to play better around him, which is true. I, I totally believe that. Um, but they also made the point that, you know, when they were asked, okay, well, what can Gino do specifically? Uh, the answer was the same, which is that he, he needs to get the ball out quicker, especially in known passing situations. Well, the first, pl- the first drive of that game was the perfect opportunity for that. They get backed up uh, to third and nine from third and four after a false start penalty. And the touchdown to DK Metcalf, I mean, you watch it. He gets the shotgun snap, moves the safety with his eyes, and then boom, that ball's out. And that was the theme of the day for him. Uh, Just to give you guys some context on that, his average time before throw going into that game, so the average time from snap to throw was 2.91 seconds, which was, I think, uh, near towards the bottom of the league in terms of average time. Uh, and in that Dallas game, it was 2.54 seconds. And it was even, the difference was even bigger on third down, where he was th- 2.38 seconds. And people might be hearing that and saying, well, you know, there's not that big of a difference between two and a half seconds and 2.9 seconds. But when you think about, you know, the, the difference between a throw, you know, a quarterback throw off and not getting it off before the rush comes and gets him or before the window closes, um, you know, in the defensive backfield. You know, a couple hundredths of a second is actually a pretty long time, and that was the difference, uh, one difference for them in that pass game. You also saw guys make great individual plays, the Noah Fant catch, uh, some plays by Jackson Smith and Jay Gray. I mean, even that DK Metcalf catch that I just referenced, I mean, that was a, a really good snag of a throw, you know, between two defenders on a rope. Um, so every, it was sort of the, the same thing the Seahawks were talking about, where everybody needs to play better around Geno, which they did. And Gino himself needs to play better by getting the ball out quickly, which he did. Uh, we'll talk about the Joel Adams situation in a second here, but I do want to ask how healthy or not healthy is Gino right now? Yeah, so he actually showed up on the injury report yesterday with a groin injury, and he was a limited participant because of that, according to the injury report. That's the first time we had seen the groin. Now, Earlier in the day, you know, as has become custom the last few weeks, we just in his weekly press conference, we asked him how he's doing, and he said, He's getting better, but that he's not 100%. And he, he added the caveat there, or the qualifier, not close to 100%, which I thought was a bit of an interesting, you know, shift in, in how he's been talking about his health. Whereas, you know, in the past, he's, he's sort of been, you know, downplaying the injury. And, and this was him saying he's not close to 100%. And I did wonder if what he was referring to there was, uh, and he was asked specifically about his arm, by the way, not about his groin. Right. We didn't know about the groin by that point. Um, I wondered if, if maybe a hit he took in midway through the fourth quarter of that Dallas game uh, was kind of a setback. If you watch the play, it's uh, uh, Demarcus Lawrence gets to him and hits him. He sort of they collide forearms, and uh, Demarcus Lawrence's forearm gets Geno right in that triceps, uh, back of the triceps elbow area uh, where he had that contusion. And so I, I wondered if that may have set him back. It looked like he was getting treatment on the sideline after that. And so. Uh, I asked him about that, if that was a setback, and he, he you know, sort of answered kind of uh, coyly. And so I think the answer, to me at, at least, it, I took that as a yes. We're speaking to Brady Henderson here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Brady, of course, is ESPN NFL Nation Seahawks insider. Um, this week at practice, Brady, how big a story was the Jamal Adams Twitter controversy? Yeah, it was, it was a story for one day, for a Wednesday, and that was the day that you know Pete Carroll was asked about that because that was the first time uh, that we had had a chance to talk to Carroll since that whole thing you know blew up on Friday. And um, Carroll 
you know, he, he in his way, he, he's never going to really come down on a guy super hard in a setting like that. But he did express his disapproval of it, and he said that Adams, uh, that they talked about it, and he said that Adams knew that he had to take the post down. Um, and then, you know, when we talked to Adams a few minutes later in the locker room, it became pretty clear that he took that post down only at the behest of the team. Right. Uh, because not only did he decline to comment on it, not only did he not, you know, apologize for it, he really doubled down on it. He doubled down behind, uh, doubled down on, on the intention behind it, which, you know, he said was to get this reporter off his case who had been, um, you know, critiquing him and making, you know, smart alecky comments at him. And, um, you know, I was there and asked Adams, like, do you think that it's fair to say that the reporter was critiquing a football play of yours by making that comment and then that you made it personal by, you know, going and finding a picture As of the weather gets- wife and, and posting it and, you know, basically uh, saying that you don't find her attractive um, for the whole world to see on Twitter. And he said that he felt like the guy was making it personal with him by repeatedly going after him. And so, he did acknowledge one thing that I think is, is obvious, which is that, you know, his reaction to that was completely disproportionate to the, the criticism that he was facing from this guy. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But he said it was, you know, he felt like the guy had made it personal with him and that the guy wasn't letting up, uh, that they had had beef going back to Adam's days with the Jets where that reporter had covered him. And so um, it, it was, you know, look, I, 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 think I do have some sympathy for athletes who – catch a lot of flack uh, from people on Twitter. And, and it's a lot, typically it's a lot more vitriolic than what Adams was responding to. I think if, I think if you were to open up a player's DMs, you would be shocked by some of the things that people say to these yeah. players. And so I do have some sympathy for that, but at the end of the day, this was amounted to critique of a football play and Adams reaction was so over the top and so inappropriate um, it was one of the worst tweets I've ever seen from an athlete, frankly. Do you think he'll be on the team next season? I do not. No, uh, certainly not at his contract, which would call for a cap hit of, I think, $29 million. There is a 0.0 chance of that happening. And, and frankly, I, I don't think he's going to be on the team at all just because the, um, you know, the production isn't there. I mean, I, I don't know how you could restructure that contract in a way that would actually make sense for both sides to, uh, and that would, that would justify whatever cap hit it is, because it would still have to be a pretty big one. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the one case for it is that, okay, you already knew that this was going to be a difficult year for him physically, you know, coming off the torn quad tendon from last season, that he just wasn't physically going to be anywhere close to 100% of himself. Uh, and that maybe you give it another year just to see if he can get back to being the 2020 Adams. But it's not like you're asking the guy to get back to his form from a year ago or from two years ago. It's been since 2020 that he's been a productive player for them. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, it, this, if they did, if they do move on from him, it, it'll be a football decision, a football salary cap decision. But, you know, all this other stuff certainly doesn't help his case between, you know, yelling at the guy, the, the concussion doctor on the sideline. Uh, and then this pretty ugly incident this past week. And I, I don't think that's why they would move on from him, but it certainly doesn't help, and it certainly would kind of tarnish the ending of his time in Seattle. 
Brady, thanks again, as always, except for last week when you slept in. But uh, it was <laughs> it was great to have you. Uh, good conversation. Enjoy the game as much as uh, Seahawks fans can when the Seahawks play the San Francisco 49ers. We'll, we'll talk again next week about another Monday nighter for the Seahawks, this time against the Philadelphia Eagles. If they can win one of these two games, I think they might make the playoffs. If not, I don't know about it. Brady, enjoy your weekend, buddy. All right. You guys do the same. Thank you. See thanks, you. Brady. Uh, Brady Henderson, ESPN, NFL Nation, Seahawks insider here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So here's how the Seahawks end the season. Um, they got five more games. They're 6-6. Six and six. They're at San Francisco this weekend, and I think most of us are like, that's a loss. That's going to be a loss. It's going to take a miracle for just the by, Seahawks just to by beat how the many Niners. points? That's the question. Um, and then they get that game that's been flexed from Sunday to Monday night, which is weird and has angered some Eagles fans. Um at home against Philadelphia Monday, December 18th. I think that game, they're probably going to be underdogs, but I think that game is winnable mm-hmm. against the Eagles. Um, and then they go to Tennessee, and then they host Pittsburgh. On and New then Year's they finish, Eve. Then they finish in Arizona. Pittsburgh, my God, their last two games, they've lost to Arizona and New England, and both of those games were in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. This is a team that was seven and four, mm-hmm. so they were looking at their schedule and going, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna be what nine and four did now. They're, now they're seven and six, and they might not make the playoffs." Did you see that crazy stat that the Amazon broadcast put up yesterday? No, uh, I so, wasn't was not watching that game. So the Steelers, in consecutive weeks, lost to teams that had ten losses. Yeah, right. That's Arizona, and that's New England. So here's the stat. The Steelers, the first time in NFL history, the Steelers are the first over 500 team to lose consecutive games to teams that are at least eight games under 500. So what they've done in the last two weeks has never been done in the NFL before. Yeah, Seven and four, and you get god-awful 10-loss teams in Arizona and New England. Now, granted, they lost their starting quarterback. Small hands pick it. He's out. Trubisky's in. Trubisky is not good at football. But... Um, that has really tilted that division because I think a lot of people, when Deshaun Watson went down mm-hmm. and Joe Burrow went down, everyone's like, well, I guess Pittsburgh is going to make the playoffs now. Yeah. Not so fast. Uh, that game was actually wasn't as horrific as I thought it was going to be that Thursday night. Oh, you actually watched it? Good yeah, bits, bits and pieces. Well, I didn't watch all of it, but bits and pieces. Bailey Zappi, man, you can only hope to contain him. Not one, not two, but three touchdowns yesterday in the win. So in the NHL last night, we already talked about the Canucks 2 nothing win over Minnesota. If you missed our conversation, download the podcast. Uh, the LA Kings set an NHL record with their 11th straight road win to start the season. They're good. They have been so good that I'm wondering if they're peaking too early. Are they oh. going to pull the Bruins? Uh, remember Bruins, how good they were last season? They, and then they wasted go the, it all in the regular season. Yeah, they didn't. No, no adversity. No. no adversity for this Kings team. They didn't know how to lose. All, know how to lose. All this winning is going to cost them in the end. Uh, the Leafs won their sixth in regulation Good for last that. night. They won a bunch. Go, way not to go to overtime. Yeah, they won a bunch uh, in overtime and uh, in the shootout. Just their sixth in regulation last night over the Ottawa Senators, but they lost Jacob Wall to an injury that does jo- not. Joseph Wall. Joseph Wall yeah. to an injury. Jacob Wall. Isn't that the Trump guy? <laughs> it might it be, is. actually. Yeah, I think it's one of those online lost, Trump backers. Yeah. Whatever. They lost Joseph Wall to an injury that doesn't sound good. So Martin Jones was in there. 
to clean up the game last night. I didn't even realize that Samsonov was out. Are you guys just getting goalie names wrong on purpose just to trigger me, or is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob Joseph, same difference. Whatever. Um, Gostal the other day. So too. it was interesting because this is obviously a big loss for the Leafs because the goaltending uh, behind Wall has not been terrific this year. Um, there seemed to be a sense that right away in the aftermath, Sheldon Keefe knew that it was of some significance, this injury. Like, it's not going to be a short-term mm-hmm. thing. He said he's going to miss some time. Samsonov was out of the lineup because he was ill, so it's not like an injury, but he hasn't been good. If they're going to rely on Martin Jones and Ilya Samsonov for the you know foreseeable future and they can't win games in regulation. That's putting a lot of pressure on two subpar goalies to get the job done in overtime and in the shootout. So that's something to monitor moving forward now as well. So, By the way, just sorry, uh, the let's get Tanev and Dan Vladar trade, because remember how they were going to get Tanev right, yeah, and Zadorov? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. well, let's just use the same framework and get uh, Vladar in the mix as well, because I guess um, Wolf got the win for Calgary last night. Yeah, he did quite well in that game. Yeah, he played he played well in that win over Carolina. So there's the story out of Toronto. Anyway, we should move through some of these. Well, other the scores. Kraken lost again, two one to the Devils. Are they just done? Are they they, they're done, aren't they? Uh, they are eight thirteen and six, which is bad. Yeah, they're done. They're oh five and one in their last six. They can't win games. I know this is really great analysis from the Halford and Bruff show, yeah. but they lose in all different fashions now. Yeah. When they play low, it's hard to make. It's hard to make the playoffs when you can't win games. It's a fact. We're not making this up. This is truth in media. But they, if they make it low event hockey, like last night, it was a 2-1 game against uh, the New Jersey Devils. I watched a, a handful of minutes, and it was not very entertaining. Not like that 6-5 game on, t- on Tuesday night. Well, They don't win those. If they, if they try and open it up and trade chances, they don't win those because the goaltending's not good enough. They just can't win games right now. The entertaining game of the night was Patrick Kane's debut for the Detroit Red Wings, and not because of anything that Patrick Kane did, just the overall game in the second period uh, of a scoreless game, mm-hmm. the Red Wings scored four goals to start the second period. So they're up four nothing on San Jose, and probably everyone was thinking, "Oh, this game's over" because it's well four nothing, and it's San Jose. Before the second period was over, the game was tied. Yeah, the I Sharks to... scored four straight times in the second period. After the Red Wings had scored four straight times in the second period, and eventually, Granlin, that guy, remember he went coast to coast on the Canucks? Yeah. Granlin scores in overtime for the Sharks, and they won it 6 5 in overtime. The Sharks are putting some wins together. I had to do a double take because I clicked over when the score was 4 nothing. And I think it was Lucas Raymond that made it four nothing. And then I noticed that the the Red Wings announcers were getting a little fat and sassy about their their lot in life right there. Because part of it was, what do you think it's going to be? Fourteen to nothing tonight? Yeah. Well, part of it was, was how about the, a loss? The Sharks just had a huge comeback the night before against Bo Horvat and the Islanders. They came back from three goals in the third period. So everyone's like, well, that's not going to happen again. Wrong. Wrong. It did happen again. Patrick Kane played sixteen and a half minutes. Big bagel. The, didn't do anything. Yeah, didn't do much. And I think he scored five. He couldn't chip it. Secondary assists. Yeah, I know. It was. Do you very- know the Sharks are no longer last overall in the NHL? They are by points percentage, but right. the Chicago Blackhawks oh, with Connor them. Bedard have 17 points out of 25 games, and the Sharks have 18 points out of 27 games. They're five, four, and one in their last ten. Like mm-hmm. they they haven't been awful. Uh, their goal differential is still pretty dreadful at minus 53. But I think. 
the most disappointing team in the NHL this season, now that the Oilers have started to turn things around, I think that's got to go to Columbus. They are terrible. They, they are, are a terrible hockey team. Horrible, horrible team. Yep. And Johnny Gaudreau with another dismal effort last night. I think he finished minus three. Had, uh, Fantilli, cranes, right? Fantilli did play well. It was a loss to the uh, New York Islanders. And I'm just reading some tweets from Aaron Portsline, who's the great beat writer that covers the uh, Blue Jackets, uh, started with the Columbus Post-Dispatch. Now he's with The Athletic. And he's just saying, like, a lot of fans in Columbus, they're just, like, they're out. Yeah. They're, they're out. They're just... They're done. It's a Buffalo situation. Yeah, it's a Buffalo situation mm-hmm. in Columbus. And I think that it just went with, you know, the the Gaudreau contract, as much as a um, of a coup as it was for the organization to pull that off, it was kind of like, oh, my God, he's interested in us. Well, let's sign him for sure. But was there any thought putting in put into, like, actually building the team? And then the Mike Babcock hire um, that went, so sideways, so quickly, like he didn't even coach a game. This season has just been dreadful for the Blue Jackets organization. Uh, 7 o'clock hour coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. There's Otani stuff everywhere, folks. There's Otani stuff everywhere. Why don't you read the tweet that you just sent me, Greg, because this is where we're at (laughs) in the Shohei Otani Chase story situation. Everyone thought the tracking of flights was a bit of an invasion of privacy. There's a viral tweet going around now yes. suggesting that Yusei Kikuchi has rented out an entire very good friend of Shohei Otani upscale sushi restaurant near the Rogers Center with a 50 plus uh, person reservation. Oh, people are tracking sushi reservations yeah. now. So we're we're getting real deep here. Make of it what you will. Okay, seven o'clock. Do you think Otani's going to have to pay for that? Right. <laughs> Kikuchi's got a few bucks. I think he's going to have to pay for every meal ever from now on. That's probably what's going to Can you imagine like buying him a drink? He'd be like, no, no. This is totally unconfirmed, by the way. This is probably just somebody trying to get attention on Twitter. Speaking of buying a meal, we're giving away a $100 gift card to AJ's Pizza on East Broadway. AJ's going to join us next for Ask Us Anything Friday. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.